I'm Ruxandra Guidi, host of The Catch, a podcast from Foreign Policy and the Walton Family Foundation about the seafood we eat and the impact it can have on our world. This season, we'll hear how Norway is handling cod's changing migration patterns and what it says about fisheries in other parts of the world. Season three of The Catch is out now. Hi, Bishop. Hi. Hi, Jess. Hi, Martine. So we are here with Jess Contrera and Bishop Sand. And what I know is that you all have been working on a story. Yes. So for the last couple of months, Bishop and I have been spending time with this incredible guy. So introduce yourself to us in Russian. <laughs> His name is Bon Smith. He's 46 years old and... He's one of the few known hyper-polyglots in the world. <laughs> what is a hyper-polyglot? Okay, so I had to learn this too. So when you speak multiple languages, that's called a polyglot. Hmm. Poly, like many, glot, I guess it's like your throat. Or I don't know, yes, ask Bishop, he knows the it, is your, it means tongue, <laughs> yes. And hyper means over. So it's like over many tongues. Hmm. <laughs> like how many languages are we talking about here? It's a really good question, right? So you ask Vaughn or you ask any other hyperpolyglot, they'll tell you that that's a stupid question, <laughs> uh, which I learned really quickly. Um, so language, you know, is something that is really complicated to learn. You know, do you know a language if you know the vocabulary? Do you know a language if you can, you know, say, how do I get to the train station? Or, like, mm-hmm. what does it mean to know a language? Mm-hmm. So Vaughn breaks his languages down into different categories, like most hyperpolyglots do. He is fluent in eight languages. So that would be, uh, of course, English, Spanish, Russian, Portuguese, Slovak, Czech, Bulgarian, Romanian, I'll put Romanian as fluent. He has 24 that he would define as either intermediate or conversational, which to him means I can carry a conversation in this language. People can talk to me. I'll understand what they're saying. I can talk back. And, of course, also read and write those languages. So these languages are Croatian, Finnish, Italian, Latvian, Nahuatl, and Serbian, American Sign Language in Catalan, Dutch, French, German, Hungarian, Icelandic, Irish Gaelic, Norwegian, and Polish. Oh, my gosh. And then if you go down the whole list, like his basic stuff, you have Amharic, Arabic, Estonian, Georgian, Greek, Hebrew, Indonesian, Japanese, Lakota, Lithuanian, Mandarin, Navajo, Salish, Sinhalese, Swedish, Ukrainian, and Welsh. Oh, my gosh. But if you add up all the languages that he has some knowledge of, so uh, well over 100 words and and a lot of phrases in um, and probably could understand pretty well, his list is at about 45. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. And we verified this by seeing him interact with 17 advanced speakers of other languages that he speaks. Mm. And we also interviewed 10 people who've seen his language skills throughout his life. And I assume he must do something like work at an embassy or, I don't know, like work for the CIA or something where uh, when you That's know what that I thought, too. Languages. I was like, he's definitely a spy. But he actually is a carpet cleaner. Really? Really? 
he has this incredible talent that he keeps mostly to himself. Yeah, I mean, this guy's possibly the most brilliant person I've ever met, and yet he's undiscovered in cleaning carpets. We saw this was due to his unusual brain, but also because of his history, which I think a lot of us can relate to. Hmm. And you know, as we were following him over the months, we saw him start to change. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, April 29th. Walk inside. Okay. Look at things. I'll follow you. So I went with Vaughn to this house in Alexandria where he had a cleaning job. And we get there, and immediately he zooms in on this blue rug. And then there's a futon, and it has stains from a dog wiping its... Well, yeah, you know what dogs do. <laughs> uh, and so it needs to be cleaned. About how long ago did these occur? About the last two, three weeks. He walks down the stairs in booties to protect the floor. He's wearing a company polo shirt, and then on his forearms, two large tattoos in Armenian that say, or really they scream, eternal revenge. <laughs> They're a relic of his punk rock days. Before he gets started cleaning, Vaughn politely right, pivots so. to the client. 240 will be the total. I'm only saying that because, so you know what the total is, but of course sure the payment's due at the end. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so I'm going to bring The whole exchange is very efficient. You know, there are other social situations in Vaughn's life that he really struggles with. But here, he's done this a million times. He knows what he needs to do and say to get the job done. If I let myself or Jessica need to use the restroom personally, is it okay if we use this one? Oh, of course. Yeah, this one upstairs, whatever is, like, convenient. Totally fine. Thank you so much. Vaughn lives in Gaithersburg, Maryland, with his mother, Sandra. 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 Vaughn takes care of her. She was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2006. Thank you. These, Thank are, you these so are from much. the little Italian store by my oh house. Oh my so goodness, I have tried them before. They're delicious. We sit down in the living room. Vaughn was making dinner for 10 people. Yeah, we didn't really know what we were walking into. <laughs> That's Vaughn literally running up and down the stairs, in and out the back door, trying to cook us dinner. Looking around the living room, I saw books, mementos, Vaughn's artwork, a big dark canvas of his hung above the stairs. And as we were getting settled in, Sandra excitedly listed all the things that she admires and is proud of Vaughn. Oh, I have to tell you how the, you know, he takes great pictures too. I know. And he draws, he paints. It's amazing. Oh my God. And how how does he manage to do all that? He he was good at anything. Okay. At everything. But languages more than anything. Mm-hmm. She's sitting there and she's telling us about back in the 70s when Vaughn was a kid, before he realized he had these language abilities. He was good at everything. In anything. Except there was this uh, thing 
with Vaughn. It showed up at school. What about at school? At school, uh... He did things that concerned the teachers. I used to get calls that his mind was always occupied in something else. Mm-hmm. That, that was the problem, I get him in trouble. Mm-hmm. He was always thinking of other things. He was always involved in other things. Mm-hmm. He's quiet. And uh, that's because he's too busy in his world, his brain. It was more than that. Sandra noticed that Vaughn had other challenges. So he had difficulties dealing with others, other people. She noticed that he wasn't necessarily connecting with the other kids. So she took Vaughn to see a psychologist. Yes, but they didn't find anything. What the psychologist told her was that Vaughn was muy inteligente. You know, he was just very, very smart. But Vaughn's difficulties, they didn't go away. As he grew up, people kept coming up to Sandro saying something was off about him. Aunts and uncles, you know, telling his, his mom there's something not right about that boy. Vaughn took it to heart, like we all might do. And he told us about it before we came to dinner. I mean, like, does it feel like you're different than them? Yes. Than most yes. The differences that other people point out were always the negative stuff. Teachers would call him out in front of the whole class, saying he wasn't paying attention when he was just interpreting the directions differently. It was clear to everyone. There's something wrong with Vaughn. Other kids thinking he was rude or that he had missed some sort of social cue. Like, I'm doing something wrong. I didn't even know that I was doing something wrong. And so I think when you're a kid, you know, especially a kid who doesn't yet know that he's incredibly talented in a certain way, um, you know, he was internalizing, there's something wrong with you. And I just thought that, I I just looked at it, it's like people just didn't like me. So I just thought I was disliked. Vaughn focused on drawing and science class, which he liked. You know, autism wasn't talked about then like it is today. It wouldn't be until he was an adult that he realized he probably fit that criteria and he learned about it from friends. They thought he might be autistic. And at first, because it's Vaughn, and he's so highly tuned to accents, he thought it was a New York accent saying artistic. Well, so, so when did languages start to come into his life? So around the same time, he had something happen that really sort of opened his eyes to the languages around him and the languages in the world. Yes, and I like to call it the hyperpolyglot origin story. <laughs> okay, so he was about seven years old. Yeah, it was, spe- it was really special back then, yeah. His distant cousins from Belgium came to visit. They were a few years younger than him, playing with toys nearby. And to Vaughn, at the time, they were using a jumble of words that he couldn't understand. And all of a sudden, he grasped what they were doing. Wait a minute. He used the secret information to tell someone else to do something. This was like 
completely opened up his world. Hmm. He, he'd already known Spanish because of his mother's side. She was from Mexico. But he didn't feel like it was this special line of communication. So many people used it, he just thought it was a normal thing. So this language that he was hearing was special. Hmm. And then that's when I stood up and I said, I want this power. <laughs> it's kind of like... So Vaughn would seek out other languages. Uh, I think it was when I was in junior high. And then he found a German dictionary. And I started reading through it, okay. memorizing a bunch of the words. He found his mom's vinyl records in French. Okay. So I thought it was interesting that there was something else. It's like, okay, there was this other language. It's kind of like Spanish, but not really. He studied Russian and then befriended two Russian girls and then blurted out some Russian in this Italian oh, accent. Completely with Maruski, you know, like, I asked him stuff, but the pronunciation was kind of funny. It sounded more like Italian. I was yeah. like, <laughs> I put this Italian accent because I didn't know what else to do. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this is the way Vaughn operated for years. So after this, he, he really added depth to the languages that he knew. More vocabulary, phrases that are common, the cultural things about the language that you need to know. And then he accrued more and more languages after that, and he'd find them unique and beautiful. And then at school, he desperately wanted to go to Hungary to be an exchange student, but his parents, they didn't really put any support behind him, and that disappointed him. But he kept meeting more and more students from other countries here in the U.S., and he kept on adding more and more languages to his repertoire. As Vaughn's mom was seeing how much he gravitated toward languages and was really good at it and was starting to develop these skills on on his own, did she, like, support that? No. When Vaughn was young, no one, his teachers, his mom, was really investing in his abilities or bringing him to, you know, a special tutor or a specialist, um, he didn't really receive any specific support on, you know, this thing that he cared a lot about. Yeah. And there's there's real reason for that, too. I mean, Sandra, Vaughn's mom, was just in this, like, survival mode. So we're back in the living room, and Sandra is flipping through this photo album. Can you tell me about what you're seeing right now? The pictures? Yeah, just describe what you're seeing and what uh, you're thinking. This was me when I had a job as a counter manager for the line Chanel, mm. Lord and Taylor. Oh, cool. That was my golden oh, yeah, you days. Look, you look, that was your golden days. You look very happy. Days. Sandra was pretty young when she came to the United States from Mexico. I mean, I came here being a feeling a young girl, too. I was only 19, oh my gosh. She had two young boys, and she was separating from her husband, an American from Nebraska. And his father didn't really participate that much. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't have his support. So Vaughn feels... Unhappy when when she remembers that. And I wanted to have fun too. You know, just like the some girls just want to have fun. This time was really difficult for Vaughn. He felt so different at school. His mom was working all the time. 
parents fighting all the time. My mom didn't want me to her place to my dad. My dad couldn't have it, so bouncing back and forth, like not really having a place to live, uh, living in people's basement that was full of you know insects and bugs and stuff, and it's kind of like camping out in the basement, you know. The word that he used was sometimes that he felt like unwanted or that you were disappointed in him. I wouldn't. I didn't know that he he was feeling that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was difficult the way already was for me. Right. Coming to this country, it was a completely shock for me, you know, because I didn't know the language. I was very young at that time. However, I feel like I did the best I could have done. Mm. But deep inside him, he has a big heart. Not only a big brain or smart brain, he has a big heart. Mm. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Because he's very sensitive, and he tends he tends to to think that he's not wanted or he's not loved. So tell me a little bit more about what happened to Vaughn a little bit later in life? Like once he graduated from high school, did he go to college? What was his path like from there? Vaughn never went to college. He thought about a trade school, but then he didn't get in. And once that happened, he kind of gave up on the idea. Yeah. Neither of his parents went to college. He said it seemed daunting and that he didn't have an understanding of how important it was. And then like as far as like jobs are concerned after high school. Uh, He tells us about the story where he mailed in an application once to the State Department, but then didn't hear a response. So he kind of gave up on that. So it just seems like he didn't have a lot of like the tutoring, the mentoring to try to get a job that would take advantage of his language skills. But he wasn't thinking like the fact that I can speak all these languages is incredibly rare and that there could be like all kinds of job opportunities for him based on just that. I'm not sure he has that level of confidence. I mean, throughout this whole process, you know, we heard him doubt himself times when he didn't think that he was worthy of a different kind of more professional job. Yeah. So instead, he just he turned to these kinds of like odd jobs that he would do. Yeah. He worked for companies that his family owned in the carpet business. He was a bouncer at a bar. He delivers kombucha. But throughout that whole time, he still kind of kept on learning more and more languages. And each new one, he'd connect with someone. I worked with a Serbian woman on that house in Dumbarton Street. And uh, so I picked up a lot of Serbian from her. And he'd connect that language to places. I hear a lot of Polish in, uh, in New York when I go there. I just love that he's doing it for the sake of people and it's like because he wants to make people feel that he values who they are and that that he wants to make them what does he say like light up like they've been splashed with happiness (laughs) and he just loves the words chicken squeeze squeeze Squeeze, squeeze. She says it two times in sandwich. Wait, wait, say that one more time so I can get it really close to the Chicken. Ear. Squeeze, squeeze. 
Squeeze, squeeze. Are, are there certain languages that really are fun to curse in? Like that yeah, are- of course. Russian. Russian is a, has a very rich cursing vocabulary. Sp- Mexican Spanish in particular. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Pinche payaso cubierto It's like a whole damn clown covered in You know, just kind of like <laughs> this very decorative, vulgar speech. Huh. Yeah. There, there's, it, stands, it is very fun to curse in Mexican Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> So I only speak English, though after spending so much time with Vaughn, I am rededicating myself to learning Italian. Um, but I I wondered, like, what is it like to pivot from one language to the other? Like, how does your mind make that switch? For someone like Vaughn, what does it feel like to switch from Finnish to Russian to Welsh to Latvian to Salish? Yeah, we brought Bon in and we talked to him here at the post and just like sitting up like a foot away from him. And I saw him just sort of pause before he switched to another language. And he kind of like gathered himself. Yeah, I have to, I have to think about it. I have to really go, go into the mindset. Um, like what was going on inside his mind when he's speaking something like Nahuatl, which is an indigenous language in central Mexico? It's, it's a much quieter, kind of slower. I could see that his face relaxed. His eyes softened. In his mind, it was almost like he was transported somewhere else. My mind goes back to that setting. Okay, I'm, I'm in this village. How would I speak if I were in that village and I were surrounded by Nahuatl speakers? So, so you're, are you, is it an image that comes to your mind when you're... Uh, an image does come into mind. So when I was speaking oh. just now, yes, I was thinking about being in one of those wooden houses with wood burning and heating up some mole, you know, on the on their wood burning stove. Wow. Yeah. What does it feel like to speak Nahuatl? Uh, to feel like to speak Nahuatl, it's like I'm, it's like I'm, uh, it, it's like I'm surrounded by warmth. Um, there's, you know, like I just this really peaceful sort of like. Uh, feeling of being in the mountains and it's just really beautiful and I just feel like I'm in a very beautiful place. So from hearing all this, it really does seem like languages are this central part of Vaughn's life. Like it's kind of his way of navigating the world. Yeah, I I think that like for him, languages have, have really connected him to other people in ways that are really helpful for him. It's like it gives him this sort of social rule book to follow when he's learning a new language. And we put this idea to Vaughn. What do you think of that that, that theory? Is that... I think it's a very plausible theory. And yeah. Yeah, that's a great answer, but I, I, I want to know. You want to say more specific, yeah. but what you're saying is... Um... It's. I think it's a very good, plausible observation. I just don't look into it as deeply as you do. So tell me a little bit about Vaughn's social side, who he is outside of the language part of him, but but also his his tattoos you said he has? Yes, the forearm tattoos that say eternal revenge. <laughs> <laughs> he got him in his 20s. He was really into the D.C. punk rock scene. He had, like, one of those septum nose piercings. Mm. Which, 
makes sense, right? Like it's a, a group of people who feel like outcasts, feel like they don't belong in the world. These are people that come from broken homes, I guess, kind of like how I did. Um, and there's either one parent or both parents were missing for whatever reason. We had a lot of stuff in common. And so we'd go to shows and there's really loud, obnoxious music. And we're just like releasing all this energy, just like pushing each other around, getting in the mosh pit and stuff and, and the, getting into the fights and getting into trouble. And it's like, okay, well, you know, this is the environment that's going to teach me to, some things, you know. It taught me a lot of self-defense. It taught me to be a much stronger person. I'm starting to connect with people now. I'm still awkward, but I'm still working on it. And people just kind of accepted me for, for how I was, even though I was kind of like, you know, they'd always call me weird, but I was always cool. I never stole from anybody. I never lied. And that's why I really worked on my social skills. Yeah, Vaughn does this really deliberately. He remembers conversations and he replays them in his mind, you know, like um, like an athlete would like pour over game film. Hmm. And then after his punk rock days, he said he very consciously tried to be more mature and worked on connecting with people like he thought adults would do. Keeping a mental note of um, what everyone's names are, because that's important. I used to kind of mess them up. They'd tell me the titles of their jobs and I didn't care about it, so I'd never remember them. It's like, okay, well, that's something I need to pay attention. Then in the mid-90s, his family visited Mexico. He says he picked up on specific social behaviors that he still carries with him. What did they teach and, you? Um, they taught me to be uh, not be serious all the time, smile, just kind of like uh, engage in people more, um, uh, um, be a lot more accepting about stuff. Just go ahead, just dive in. If somebody offers you something, eat it. Mm-hmm. Always say thank you. Always say buen provecho when, when you see other people eating. The civilities are super important. It, it, it was uncomfortable at first, but I learned to be... Um, a little bit happier and just kind of like, you know, dive into stuff. It's like life is a lot more enjoyable if I do that. So like the way that Vaughn's telling us all these things, it's kind of like these got these filing cabinets in his mind. He's kind of pulls them out to answer our questions. Like he's talking about his Mongolian friends. And then that's right next to the file for his Finnish grammar. And then right next to that, he's got this reminder to himself to keep track of people's names and their jobs. He has this amazing brain, right? And I really wanted to understand better how it works. And so we ended up taking him to MIT to have his brain scanned. So after the break, I guess we're going to MIT. Yeah, we go to Boston and I have a little bit of claustrophobia. (laughs) In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so what we've learned at this point is about this guy, Vaughn. He's a carpet cleaner who also happens to be a hyper polyglot and speaks all these languages. And you guys have been trying to figure out why and, and how, how his brain works. So then you reached out to MIT? 
Yeah, so I reached out to this MIT neuroscientist. Her name is Evelina Fedorenko. Uh, hi there. <laughs> I tell her about Vaughn, and she realizes this is somebody who's really special. So Vaughn is definitely um, above average in the population we've studied. Professor Fedorenko has been scanning the brains of polyglots. That's right. Her research is focused on how the brain comprehends and produces language. We're basically trying to understand how it is that we can uh, produce and understand even complex ideas. There's so much there. But what I wanted to know about was her research on polyglots. So there's pretty limited information on polyglots around the world. But what we know is they're not all the same. It's a quite a diverse population. Some are really social. Some are more introverted. Some people, they can hear a word or an expression said in a totally unfamiliar language, and they can just repeat it exactly how it sounds. And then other people are good at remembering things, so they remember words. Some people are really good at dissecting grammatical patterns. There have been more men documented than women, but that might just be because more men have come forward and talked about their abilities. (laughs) There is a lot of heterogeneity. And you might be wondering, does this professor see a lot of these polyglots monetizing their skills or being involved in highly classified government intelligence jobs? <laughs> they, they wouldn't tell me <laughs> if they did. But um, yeah, we don't talk about that. We just stick to research. <laughs> so anyway, when Professor Federico looks inside the brain of polyglots and focuses on their language centers she sees something that was surprising to me. They have a smaller than average language system. So their brain areas are just smaller and they don't have to work as hard when they process language. That's fascinating and surprising. Right. So I had assumed that Vaughn's brain You know, I'm thinking of it like a physical object that's like holding all of this information. So I would think that the language parts of his brain would have been really huge or really super active. Um, And then my lame monolingual brain would just have like a little corner that's like, here's where my English stuff is. But but it wasn't like that at all. Like it was the exact opposite of that, right? The opposite, yeah. We think maybe something like you don't need to recruit as much of the cortex to achieve the same level of performance you're effectively training your language system by teaching it all these different mappings between words and meanings across these different languages. Okay, so so you're thinking that Vaughn might show that he's got more efficient parts of his brain when it comes to language. But I'm curious how Vaughn is thinking about all of this and about going to MIT and being evaluated for the first time since he was a kid. What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the trip. Uh, I'm looking forward to meeting some, like, these really interesting people. I'm looking forward to the study in general. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think you're going to learn? I have this thing where I have a very blank approach to something. So I have no expectations. Yeah, as, as strange as that sounds. Because I know that no matter what I think it is, it'll be different from what I expect. There was no reason to say no. I find it interesting, that's why. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're just so, 
Jessica and Vaughn went to MIT to see how their brains compared to polyglots, Professor Federenko studied. We go into the scanning lab. Vaughn's up first. He goes into the fMRI machine. Hi, Vaughn, how are you doing? And it looks like a huge, like, circular donut-type thing with a tiny little bed in the middle of it. Then Jessica has her brain scanned. There's, like, a constant, like, you know, kind of, like, hum thing. Yeah. And then, like, it's like, I can't even make it with my mouth. Can I make it with this? It's like, <laughs> it's like oh banging. It's so loud. And then we were in there for two hours. Two hours. Each. I mean, you thought that Vaughn was going to be like the other hyperclimbers. What was he? I mean. Yes. So his his brain regions that process language were really small, mm. um, especially when he was doing the languages he was most comfortable in, so English and Spanish. Mm. Um, but they also had him do tasks where they, they li- he listened to a wide variety of languages, languages that he knows really well. For example, uh, Spanish or English, he has a really small area that's that's being used. If he's working on something like Arabic, um, which he doesn't know nearly as well, um, then a larger part of his brain is being employed in that processing task. I see. Eventually, they can kind of compare your brain versus mm-hmm. his brain. And what did they find about your brain? Actually, what they said about the science was that we shouldn't just be comparing two people's brains. Like, that's not how science works. <laughs> um, but in an anecdotal type way, um, it was true that Vaughn's brain was far less active and using far fewer parts of his brain regions um, than my brain. Mm. Though they did say mine was a little smaller than the average person, so I'm just hoping for the best. Uh, <laughs> Hey, Vaughn, you did great. We're going to come get you up now. All right, sounds good. So then what happens next? So after this really long day of scanning and meeting people, Vaughn is totally energized. He's, like, buzzing. We get in the car. We're on the way to the airport. Vaughn was on the phone with his friend, and he was so excited. Yeah, so like I met somebody today. And well, telling his I friend something else like, that I'd, I'd never really heard him talk and, about, which is like, yeah, so I need to do something else for work. Um, and then, I need to, I guess, you know, um, this is a dead end, and, and like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, things like that. So she'll be coming with me to, to other jobs if she has the time and uh, meeting with some other people. So what do you make of this moment where Vaughn is starting to process and kind of reevaluate big things about his life. Well, you could see how for Vaughn's whole life, he he knew he was different, but he had always thought it was in a bad way. And then we go to this really renowned place and meet all of these fancy neuroscientists, and they're telling him that he's different in a good way, that he's remarkable. So we get to the airport. We're at the gate waiting for the plane. What does it feel like to hear them talk about how rare a gift you have? It's really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, how so? Um, I don't know. It's really, a little, I like a little ego boost. Like, I'm special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
But have you always known that? Or you feel like... Um, it's, I think it's really comforting to have someone in that field of science mm -hmm. confirm it. Mm -hmm. Why? So I always wonder, it's like, what if it's just, you know, how do I compare to others? Like, mm -hmm. what do I compare on the larger scale? Right. Uh, what if this is just like some... What if this is really nothing to be excited about? Mm. You know, what if there's nothing to really be special about? Mm -hmm. I always struggled with self-worth. Mm. That was a really big, that's a, that's a big thing because I grew up, to, I've, I've been told that they, they wish I wasn't born. You know? mm. Yeah, that was, that was hard. Do you think that the way Vaughn sees himself is starting to change? I think so. I mean, you could see the beginning of that change after MIT. But whether it sticks, it's going to take time. Yeah, I mean, he's had his whole life. He's been told that he's he's different. It's hard to change that about yourself, that vision of yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So I know that this story uh, published in, in print a few weeks ago. Since then, has there been a, a response to it? The response has been incredible. I mean, just the, the people who have read this all around the world, who have written to me and written to Vaughn and been in the comments talking about how much he's inspired them mm -hmm. is amazing heard from so many people with and parents of people with autism. And then the other huge reaction has been people wanting to know what's going to happen to him next. Like mm -hmm. after this story published, is his life going to change? And, and has anything changed since the story? Well, I've gotten a lot of emails from people who want to talk to him, from like a middle school teacher who wants to know if he wants to go into education, to mm. a woman who works at like an you know a cultural international organization who wants to know if he's interested. And then I got this one email mm -hmm. that was from the FBI. Morning, Jessica. Hi. How are you? <laughs> are you serious? Yeah, same. it was the FBI just saying, saying what? Clearly, we read the you know article and we're very you know impressed with his language skills, and some of the languages that he speaks uh, that actually fit our needs, higher needs okay. right now. So mm -hmm. I was just thinking, uh, you know, I'm reaching out to see if he's interested in a, you know, in an independent contract linguist opportunity mm. with okay. the FBI. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen necessarily if it's something that Vaughn would ultimately decide that he wants to do. And what was Vaughn's reaction hearing that the FBI wants to talk to him? It was very Vaughn. She's really excited to talk to you if it's something that you're interested in. Yes, it sounds very exciting. Okay. Cool. <laughs> That's amazing. But nothing has actually happened yet. In fact, some of the people who reached out to him after the story just wanted to know if he wanted to clean their carpets. For now, he's just a 30-minute drive outside D.C. Cleaning rugs. How heavy is this machine? Uh, taking care of his mother. 50, 60 pounds or something. 
going to cafes, reading books like Finnish for Swedish speakers, and making people light up when they realize that, yeah, he can speak their language. Jessica Contrera is an enterprise reporter, and Bishop Sand is a producer for the show. This story was edited by Ted Muldoon and Maggie Penman with help from Jeff Edgers. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. And we've got some very exciting news for all of you listeners who heard me on the podcast again and again about voting for our show and this award. We won a Webby Award for our episode, A Tax Haven in America's Heartland. We've got a link to that episode in the show notes if you want to hear it. But thank you so much to all you listeners who took the time to find the link and to actually vote for us. This is a huge deal and your support means more than I could ever say. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our supervising senior producer is Rena Flores. Our editors are Lexi Diao and Ted Muldoon. Jordan Marie Smith is a producer. Ariel Plotnik and Renny Svernovsky are associate producers. Sabi Robinson and Emma Talkoff are assistant producers. Sean Carter is our engineer. The post-director of audio is Renita Jablonski. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.